This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, January 21st, and this is episode uh, 2810 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Thursday. We're going to do a roundtable uh, uh, show today. Roundtable shows are a little bit different than customer uh, listener feedback shows. In that they usually have some uh, listener feedback, but at least half the content or more is stuff that's in my head or I saw somebody comment on it or something like that, and it's just something that I want to talk about. And it leads to a lot of variety. Here's what we're going to cover today. We're going to start off with a reminder about the greater reset happening next week where I'll be presenting alongside some really amazing people. And it's at thegreaterreset.org. I'll tell you all about it today again. And and really, I invite you to look at the, the schedule. And maybe you don't want to see all of it, but block out time for this. I know the question is going to be, is this going to be recorded and rebroadcast or sold separately or something? I don't know. I don't know. Knowing Derek Bros and John Bush, who are the ones who have put this together, probably, but... There is something valuable about participating actively in something uh, while it's going on. So I really invite you to consider blocking out the time for that. I'm going to talk a little bit today, just real brief. It'll be a, maybe a two-minute segment about library slash odyssey and why I say it that way. Because I, I'm surprised actually how much confusion there is, not in the marketplace, but in this audience. I don't understand. They're basically the same. They're the same but different, man, in the words of Tommy Chong. Um Can you use dog manure for composting and fertility? Yes, but. Uh, that was a question that did come in by email. Thoughts on projects like edge.network? I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. Well, I think we're just beginning to see the way this whole new world is going to work that's going to be beyond censorship. The Wild West of the Internet is about to go into phase 2.0. That's the way I'll put that. Uh, do I ever grow fruit now that I'm keto? And if so, Why? And that will spin right into a primer for Spring 2021 TSPC Workshop. It's going to happen. I'm going to tell you about it and uh, let you know probably about which time frame tickets will go on sale. Um, soil prep for the Spring Garden, if you've yet to do anything so far. What we should take from Martin Luther King's words right now, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said this so many times in so many ways. He probably said it exactly this way, at least a few And that is we have to be better than they are. And, I, and I'm talking about this, this entire thing that's going on right now in the left-right paradigm and fighting for actual liberty. We have to be better than they are. A little bit on that. Finding friends for your kids when you homeschool or you live remote, etc. And with all the stimulus in the trillions of dollars, where be the inflation? I know there's some inflation. I know some things cost more, but most of the things that cost more now than they did a year ago, I can show you supply-side economics, not direct inflation, is to, is to the primary reason why. Where be the inflation, right? Where, and I don't mean a little bit. Remember, the plan is about 2% annually. That's their goal. That's the Federal Reserve's goal. They want 2% annualized inflation. If they get that, 
they feel like they've done their job. They want to devalue your money by two. In other words, they want to come into your savings account, steal two percent of your money as a hidden tax annually. And if they do that, they're good. And if we look at shadow stats, it's always a little higher, but the number they're shooting for is the is the metric they've set at that two percent. So where is the hundred percent, the two hundred, the the hyperinflation? Where's the Weimar Republic? Where's all this shit that people like? As much as I love them, Tom Woods were talking about. Back in the spring, and I said it ain't going to happen. Where'd it go? How do you have the M1 money supply explode? And you don't have... Infl- Where did it go? Some of y'all should be jumping ahead and already have this question answered. It didn't really go where it went in 2008 and 2009. Then it went directly into a hole. So when you put dirt in a hole, you don't get a pile. And it's kind of like that here, but... It's different. It's the same, but different, man. We'll talk about all that in just a bit. Before we do, let's start off with a quote of the day. This one by Meister Eckert. He said, do exactly what you would do if you felt more secure. This is one of those ones I think you have to use your brain with. He didn't say do exactly what you would do if you felt completely secure. So you might look at something and say, I probably shouldn't do this because if I do, I'm going to end up dead. And you probably shouldn't do that thing. You probably shouldn't do that thing. If it's, hey, I shouldn't run across this highway with cars coming down at 85 miles an hour. And look, I can see one that will hit me. I can even figure out. I know which Frogger vehicle I'm going to go under. You probably shouldn't do that. He's talking about the excuses people make for why they can't. He's talking about avoiding being a drug addict on the drug called Icantium. What he's saying is at some point, in the words of Steve Harvey, you got to jump. you got to take the shot. We often sit back and make excuses. I, I, I am really kind of fed up with the defeatist language coming out of my own audience right now. And I know most of you, even though I've tried for almost 13 years now to tell you to stop shoving your head up the asses of the ass clown circus people, it's related to this damn election. The world's over because Biden's in charge. Now, I'm not happy that Joe Biden's in charge. I wasn't exactly happy that Donald Trump was in charge, honestly. But I'm not, I'm not going to all of a sudden think my world just radically changed because the guy that's been in politics and that had positions of power for over 50 freaking years is still in, got, got some power. But it's the presidency. He was a vice president for eight years under Obama. But this time is different. It's always different. But it's one thing that you're unhappy about something like that. And I, I understand. It wasn't like I was like, oh, great. It was, ah, oh, shit. Right? But what I hear people say is, I wish just want to live my life, and I can't because they won't let me. Who won't let you? What won't let you? I'll tell you what won't let you. Yourself. It is so easy to say, well, if, if things were different. What would you do for the, the first three years before the pandemic then? Is your life dramatically worse today than it was then? Most of the people making excuses, it wasn't. Well, they don't let me. You need to figure out how to get around the they in the world. We take this, this, this feeling that someone will take it from us, and what happens is it's like exercising. You want to pick up that barbell or you want to get on that spin bike. You know in your heart you should. But then you come up with all kinds of excuses that have absolutely nothing to do with you actually just doing it. And then you say that's why you can't or why you're not doing it today or you don't, you know, whatever. You don't have time. Mm-hmm. 
Do exactly what you would do if you felt more secure in the situation. Take the damn risk. Go out and make some shit happen. Stop using defeatist language. I'm telling you right now, I'm at the point now where I've been doing this long enough that when I get, well, I can't, they won't let me. I'm done with that person. And I don't mean that they're irredeemable. I mean I'm done for the purpose of that conversation with that individual. I can't help them in that state. All I can do is keep doing what I've always done, and when you catch back up, when you stop, when you pull your head out of your fourth point of contact, and you stop using people thousands of miles away from you that don't even know who you are, and acting like you've been individually singled out, they're going to round us up. Oh, good Lord. Good, look at a round. Who's going to round you up? Well, you know, that's what the Jews said in Nazi Germany in 19... This is not 19 Germany, not 1928 Nazi Germany. And I'll tell you what, if they come to round us up, I'll be the first one putting a bullet in somebody's freaking head. But I got a lot of other shit in life that I'm worried about because we build a better life here if times get tough or even if they don't. Every action that we take in this community needs to be predicated on it makes our life better if nothing goes wrong if something goes wrong, or if everything goes wrong. When you start using language like, they won't let me, you set your mind forward to, I'm only planning for failure, and hence, failure is exactly what you'll get. With that, No matter how times are for everybody else, you'll get failure when you only plan for it. All right, moving on from there, I want to remind you guys, yes, these people are on the top rope, dropping elbows on everything they can right now, And the Great Reset is part of that. There is a move right now to radically transform life in the world, not just America. And the only thing that's going to enable you to resist it, it's the only things. It's education, it's community, it's private commerce, it's creating a world of your own. It's instead of bitching, they won't let me figure out how to do it anyway. That's what the greater reset is all about. Uh, Derek Bros is the one that really put this together. John Bush is working with Derek on this. Uh, I'll be speaking at it. Nicole Sauce will be speaking at it. Xavier Hawk's going to be speaking at it. Uh, Dr. Mercola will be speaking at it. There's just a ton of amazing big name people that are going to be part of this. I'm going to be talking about backyard protein production from small livestock and from uh, uh, aquaculture. And we're going to have a ton of other great people there. We have it broken up into a series of, of, of seminars each evening. I really, really recommend that you become part of this and that you utilize it as a way not only to learn for yourself, but to continuously reach out and find other people. You're only isolated today if you think the way that this audience thinks, if you choose to be. You're allowing yourself to be isolated. You're allowing the, yourself to believe that we're not large in number. Where did the, where did the quarter million downloads a day come from that this show gets? If we're so small in number, and I'm small in the grand scheme of things, okay? TSP is not that big in the grand scheme of things. We're we're tiny in the grand scheme of things. There's millions of people that think like us that are just not part of what we're doing here directly. And we need to be working with those people, too, in various ways and however we find them. We need to stop. I mean, it amazes me, like, 
Well, I don't see why I should go and get involved in alternative social media. Look what would happen to the supposed freedom at Parler. You know what you should do? You should just shoot yourself. Just quit. Just give up. I mean, if you don't want to be on social media, that's one thing. But if you're over making Zuckerberg rich or Dorsey rich, and the reason you're not going to try anything alternative is because it might get shut down too, you're rewarding their shitty behavior the way they colluded together to do that. Parler didn't do anything to you. Parler didn't take away your freedom to speak. But, oh, it's just it's, it's exactly going back to do exactly what we do if you felt more secure. Quote of the day, you're making an excuse because you don't really want to do it in the first place. And that's fine. Then just say, I don't want to do it. Don't make excuses. We need to start executing our own plans. And that means, and I hate to be this blunt about it, but we are going to have to just basically tell a lot of people, you know what, go, go find something else to do. We'll have time for you no more. And you go on with what you're doing. And that doesn't mean leave them behind. Some of them will get left behind, but being left behind in this is your choice. And, and, and I'm going to put it to you this way. If you knew there was gold on top of a hill, and there was more there than you could, could ever use, and you had some friends that were down at the bottom of that hill with you, you might be like, hey, freaking gold up there. It's just laying on the ground. I can only carry so much. Other people are going to come get some of it. Come on, let's go get some. And if they say, nah, I don't know. I don't you know, they might take it away from me once I... Okay, fine, bye. And about the third or fourth time they saw you run down, sweating, carrying as much as you can and squirreling away, they might follow you up the hill. That's where we have to be. If you want to be involved with what we're collectively calling here the Greater Reset, which is the conscious resistance to this movement, not by fighting it directly, which is impossible, but by creating an alternative lifestyle, you have to go get your own gold. And you can't make someone do it. I got an email from somebody today. I've been trying to tell my friends how important it is to use cryptocurrency. They sent me this article that says it's all going to go away and I don't know what to do. I'm like, I can't even bother. Just Google the death of Bitcoin and read the Bitcoin obituaries every time Bitcoin was dead. I'm done. I can't even... But it's only $30,000 now. I don't care if it goes down to twenty again. I was happy when it was ten. i I'm happier when it's twenty. I was happier when it was forty. but, I mean, come on. There's a point at which you got to take this on for yourself. Greater Reset, be part of it. Okay, next up, real quick segment here. Library TV, which is LBRY.TV, and Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E dot com. They're the same but different, man. For those of you that have been like wondering how this all works, library is blockchain. And when they built the library blockchain, it was designed to provide a video sharing platform, i.e. a competitor to sites like YouTube. Okay, When they did that and created LBRY.TV, It created some brand confusion because they also want people to understand that underneath all this is the LBRY blockchain, which is where the LBC coin is you know, handled. Like Bitcoin has a Bitcoin blockchain, library has an LBC blockchain called library. Right? And they really want people to understand that this blockchain, like any other blockchain, is a blockchain that you can build things on top of. 
For instance, Jeremy Kaufman, founder of Library, was on our show and said you could build, theoretically, a podcast app on top of their blockchain. So they broke off, think of it as the GUI, the graphic user interface, the part you look at. Library still works, but they really are putting all the effort into the framework that shows the videos, the picture frame, is odyssey.com. You can use either one. And if you upload your content at library.tv, it's on Odyssey. And if you upload your content at odyssey.com, it's on library. It's on both of them. If you are a producer on either side, you have your content in both places all the time forever. On Odyssey side is where they're doing all the feature development, likes, follows, all types of things like that. All the stuff that gives a better user experience is over on the odyssey.com side. Library was built to the point that it was built to, and it's just kind of like it's there. So the, the better place for the user is Odyssey. For the creator, it just doesn't even matter. Another thing I want to tell you guys, I talked to you yesterday about getting on Odyssey and Library if you are a YouTube creator. I've heard from a lot of people, I don't have enough subscribers. I don't have enough content. I could be wrong because I haven't looked deeply into it, but my understanding is once they develop the Odyssey platform to where it is now, anybody can get their content imported from YouTube Infinity, and it's a lot easier and faster now. So you might want to look into that. Um, again, it's on blockchain. Now, one question I, I did want to handle, I keep getting. If library slash Odyssey can take down content that's illegal, like child porn, Can they take down other content as well? First of all, the Odyssey side is not a hundred percent anything goes free speech zone. That's the other thing. It it it, it pulls from the library blockchain. So ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, content would be visible on both sides. If there's content that that Odyssey finds objectionable. And this does not mean your free speech is not being respected, but let's say that you made a video that called for, let's go burn down all the houses in Atlanta because I hate Atlanta. They might find that objectionable, and it might make doing what they want to do as a company impossible. So no, you don't get to do that. It doesn't mean they delete the video. It just won't show up on Odyssey anymore. When it comes to the library side, if somebody started up like a child porn um Uh, channel or something like that. Understand that legally they must make best effort to get rid of it. But it is a blockchain. What that would mean is the content would still be on the blockchain but the node serving it might be blocked or the ability to find it might make it all but impossible unless you already knew where it was. So there will never be a system that is completely perfect If you do something where anybody can publish anything all the time, no matter what, you're going to have things on there that, that any reasonable person would agree shouldn't be. And if you, if you give yourself the ability to make that go away, you have the ability to make other things go away. Well, what if one day, if your aunt had balls, she'd be your uncle? I'm so tired of this. I'm back to this defeatist language. You know the people that built this platform. You know what they've committed to. You know what they stand by. And, you, and you, when you move to the point where this content's on a blockchain, you have as much protection as a creator as is possible in the modern world. Either you want to take a shot or you don't, right? you got to jump. Next up, 
Can you, let's go something totally different. Can you use dog manure for composting and fertility? And the answer is yes, but. So a dog is an omnivore. And a dog generally is eating a high protein and fat diet. Right? Even if they're eating a carbohydrate-based dog food, they're still eating a lot of animal protein and fats. What species do you know of that eats a diet that is as close as possible to the diet of a dog? And the answer would be the dog's best friend, man. Right? So, the closest thing on your homestead to dog manure is human manure. Just think about it that way. And I'd say the next closest thing to that group was probably going to be pig manure. And, but not, not as much. My view is if you want to harvest dog the dog's waste stream into composting, you need to treat it the way you would treat human manure even if you don't do that. With the time duration. So if you looked up how to compost human manure, because I don't want to go through a whole long explanation of this because it's only going to apply to a small number of people that care, then if you did that with dog manure, you'd be fine. And you're looking at like at least a one-year process. The And what needs to be done then is, is the collection has to go to one place and then eventually you've got enough carbon mixed with that. So something like sawdust and dog turd. And then once a certain mass amount of that is collected, then it's set aside somewhere and it's given a year. And at that point, it's great fertility and there's no danger. What's it, again, treat it like human manure. That's the best advice. It's pretty dank. And most of us, most of us, not all of us, most of us are not of this opinion that, you know, no people food for dogs. Because when people tell me that, I'm like, what exactly is people food? Because the best food your dog can eat is the best food you can eat, which is a meat-based diet. That's what your dog, your dog is not designed to live on sweet potatoes and peas. I had a, a vet one time, I've, I had to get rid of her because she was so obstinate about this. She's like, people food is terrible for them. They're so bad. When they need a treat, don't give them a biscuit. I agree with that to a degree, right? But give them a carrot. And I would always ask her, where would a dog get a carrot in, in the wild? Where, where do, do wolves and coyotes and, you know, foxes and African wild dogs and all these wild canines, Australian uh, wild dogs like uh, dingoes, do, do, do these, where do they live? Do they eat vegetables? Well, no, but that's, how's it different? And it isn't. All of these canines that we've domesticated into these various breeds through, through selective breeding over time, they all have their roots in wild canines. It's not like any of these canines that we, we, we have around us today, from German Shepherds to Sharpays to freaking Pit Bulls and all. It's not like they came from a totally different wild canine species that ate vegetables for half its diet and then went extinct, and this is all we have left of them. They all come from one form or another of these wild canine species. And they're all designed to eat meat and fat. So, in my opinion, that's what they should be eating. And to a large degree, most of us do feed our dog scraps and things like that. And by the way, uh, 150 years ago and back for all eternity, the only thing dogs were fed were leftover meat scraps and bone scraps. That's how dog became man's best friend, was we fed them that. And that means that they're going to have kind of a nasty waste stream 
from a standpoint of compared to an herbivore. Right? An herbivore, if you think about like horse manure, it's grass. No matter what, in the end, it's grass. Rabbit, etc. It's all grass, or it's grass and grain if we're grain feeding. So anyway, that's that's how to handle that. Next up, I want to tell you about a project today called Edge Network. Edge.network is the actual um, URL. Uh, you can check it out. It'll redirect to the uh, to the English language because this is a, a global thing. But basically, what we're what this is doing, and it's a fairly new project. And you can get involved. You can contribute to the network. Is it's creating a peer to peer peer to peer serverless infrastructure, powered by blockchain. And if you think about it, we all have spare capacity, right? None of us are constantly using our internet connection to the maximum capacity that we have available to us, and none of us have our computer completely full, right? We always try to keep some headspace in there. And what Edge is doing is harvesting this excess capacity to basically create an Internet that works a lot like early file sharing services. Now, I don't want to get deep into it, and I, what I really want to explain to you is that this is only the beginning. This is like we're just starting to realize the, the, the potential that we have here to decentralize content. And there's more and more things like this coming to the point where we're going to have a world where a website, like a parlor, can't be taken down. We're going to have a world where you can have a device with applications on it that somebody can't decide, oh, you shouldn't have that op application and make it go away. That doesn't mean there won't be the Internet as you know it today and the Apple Store or the Google Play Store where they will do those things. What it means is we're going to build a parallel system. Do you see how pattern recognition should be kicking in here? What have I always told you guys about the way we have to handle things going forward? We do not want to replace modern agriculture. We want to build our own system and prove that it's better by what we do and give people a choice. We do not want to replace government. We want to build our own self-governing systems that ignore government as much as possible. And only interact on the edge where we have to. Right? Like this is the same thinking. When it comes to the internet and digital communications, I don't want to take down Twitter and Facebook. I just want people to realize that like your life will not end if you leave Facebook. I feel like a lot of people when they when they make their excuses for Facebook, what I hear is the whiny voice of a fifteen year old girl that got in trouble and can't go to the fall dance telling me how her life is over because she can't go, and her life has been destroyed because she can't go to this dance. That's what people sound like when they tell you why they can't leave. And we, I just want people to understand, like, you have alternatives, and the number of alternatives are growing, and the way that you make alternatives successful is by using them. What are we going to do if they shut down? So Then we'll build something else. I don't know. We should all just shoot ourselves and die, right? We should all just kill ourselves. We should all get a hammer and commit suicide by hammer, and we'll show them, right? Or we should all just 
embrace the fact that they are winning and just stick with it and hope that someday someone will come along, Donald Trump 2.0, maybe Don Jr., and make it better for us, and the QAnons, the, you know, I mean, well, they'll come back. and it, Come on. Come on. You build your own. Every single leap in freedom and liberty in the world came while something like what's going on now was happening. Because when the beast is dying, it goes into death throes and it gets aggressive and it fights back. It goes in the corner and it starts trying to kill everyone and everything. And if you headlong charge into that beast, you get killed. Even if it's dying. You're watching an old order die, try to maintain control, and this is the time. You're going to surrender? No. You can if you want to. I can't make anybody fight back. But I can tell you the direct assault on the dying beast is a bad idea. When a something is dying, walk away from it. When your opponent is making a mistake, when your enemy is committing an error, don't get in their way. Don't help them. Let them continue. Please, go ahead. Continue your purges. Continue attacking everybody and everything. Continue, please. And we'll be over here doing our own thing. More on that in a bit. Uh, next up, do I even grow fruit now that I'm on keto? If so, why, why not? Yes, I do. Some. I don't have as much desire for it as I did as far as success, you know, trying to do tons of it as I used to. Um, my primary use for it is for fermentation purposes. But I also don't feel like, okay, you should never eat a piece of fruit again for the rest of your life. And I think seasonal use of fruit in moderation should be viewed the way most people view eating birthday cake. It's not something you do every day or even every week. But fruit, it tastes good. There's, I mean, humans evolved eating fruit. We just didn't evolve eating, you know, 12 servings of it a day, 365 days a year, because fruit doesn't work that way. So both of those are, are why I still do. I also believe that I have rice and beans in my long-term storage, even though I don't really eat rice and beans, because it works for that. A tree that can produce fruit is a source of calories and energy. Whether I choose to use it or not, whether I feed it to myself, whether I give it to people that do eat it, whether I make an alcoholic beverage out of it, whether I feed it to my livestock, like it has value in that. So yes, my main overstory I'm trying to develop now, though, is pecan. Pecan is a much denser calorie and source of fat and protein than any fruit could hope to be. It grows well here. It's, it's adapted to my climate and my alkaline soils more so than any fruit that I'm aware of. So that's my main long-term goal. Now, on that note, though, I do actually want to put in a whole perennial system on my property to grow things like gummies, which I think are an amazing fruit. And, and, and you know, now you're getting into a world of where you've got an incredible nutraceutical value in a fruit. A, a gummy is like a giant autumn olive. They're still small, but compared to autumn olive, they're giant. Uh, grapes for making wine, blackberries for making wine and for other things. Uh, I want to do these things. And I've had pretty poor results with my fruit on this property. And... I won't get into it. I don't want to make it a soft story. I'm just going to say it is a difficult place to grow any, <clears throat> anything. Some of it's doing okay, but overall, 
it is a very harsh environment to grow fruit. The soil is alkaline and the soil is shallow, and you're, you're, you're trying to grow in limestone. Last year, I put in four garden beds that I grew annuals in, and they're deep. They're like 30 inches of fill, and it worked extensively wonderfully. I mean, just beautifully. So I have an area in my back corner of my property. My It would be my southeastern corner that is perfect for like a micro berry orchard. And I'm going to be putting in four 4x8 four beds and two 4x16 beds uh, aligned in two rows, arches, back support, all that stuff. And it will be part of spring 2021 TSP workshop. Exactly how much of it will be part of that workshop is yet to be determined, but my hope is that we'll be able to completely fill, plant, do everything, and I'm planning on, for that workshop, so I'm transitioning now into talking about the workshop, one project day and two teaching days. And so the week that this is going to happen right now is going to be, I want to pull my calendar up so I don't, I don't want to get this wrong, that would... That would cause grief for me if I get it wrong. Uh, the week of March 24 to 28, that will be when it's going to be, uh, barring some things. And I think what I'm going to try to do, as far as putting tickets on sale for it, what is today? Today's the 21st. I would say it's going to be the weekend of the 6th. Of February, that should give anybody that needs to get plane tickets or anything time to get, get them after you've locked your seat in. So I'm going to say right now, so we're going to be it's February 6th is going to be when I'm going to open up ticket sales. I'm going to do it a lot like I did last time. I'm going to put it out on the uh, on the Telegram channel when I release it. I'll put the link up. I am going to go through some of the people that never got off the waiting list last time and maybe give them first shot at this since they didn't get into the last one, but they did get on the list. I'm just going to say it's going to be a smaller workshop. I think I'm going to book 30 students, and I'll expect we'll have some cancellations. I'll wind up with a head count of around 25, 26. It's much easier to do a small one like that. It's a little more intimate. It's still a lot of people. It's still a lot of work, um, but we don't have it in us to do two giant ones every year. We've got a little one and a big one. Mark your calendars. If you're not on our Telegram channel yet, you need to get on the Telegram channel and Telegram groups. Um, I'll say more on that tomorrow. I'll give you some direct links and stuff. But I do not believe that if you're not on that back-end communication channel, you're coming. I'll put it to you that way. You're not coming. Because I expect this will sell out in about five minutes. Last Last time I sold 65 seats in under 10 minutes, and that was with adding people back in once I figured out how, like, okay, they're, they're sharing a ride, they're taking an Uber. Like, I'm not doing that this time. This is, since we're not going to even get close to parking capacity problems, this is a headcount issue. So just, again, that's, it's going to be the week of March 24 to 28, and then February, Saturday, February the 6th is when they will go on sale. Mark your calendars. Uh, throw out opportunity here. I could use some instructors to talk about various things. If, I, if you submit an application to be an instructor and I accept it, 
This is what you will receive in return for doing that. Instead of paying $500 to come, you will pay $400 to come. And you will get a guaranteed place. I can't not have you here if I've, made, I've booked you as an instructor. I will not need anywhere near as many instructors as before. I will not take everybody. But if you have something you would like to contribute and you want it to be considered, put it out there. And I'm just saying some of them that don't get accepted may get accepted for fall. Because I'll need more instructors in fall than I will in spring. We always have a, at least a full day of project when we do a spring workshop. And just send that email to jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com. Put TSPC instructor in the subject line and tell me what you would, would want to present. A presentation needs to be about 45 minutes long, leave about 15 minutes for Q&A. And you don't, I don't want a long dissertation, but make sure when I evaluate it, I know what the heck you're talking about. Like what you be specific and be on point and you have better chance of being accepted. Uh, do expect questions back about it before I say yes. Uh, next up, I had a question about soil prep for a spring garden if you ain't done nothing yet. So I talk about cover crops and all kinds of things. And now it's January 21st. A lot of y'all are going to be planting by mid-March, early April at the latest. Put down a cover crop now. Not only will it not germinate and not grow well, right? Um, it may not germinate at all. If you live where there's snow cover or whatever, you may not be able to get to the garden bed. Um, and if it does, it's going to not be at a point where it's really optimum for uh, to, to just self be killed by self heat kill, you know, your, your summer kill uh, that you get when the heat comes in or what have you. Uh, it's not going to be fully matured. If it's a legume, it's not going to really get to the point where it's putting down nitrogen for you yet. There are mid-season cover crops and things like that, but we're not going to get into that today. So just throw cover cropping out the door right now. Unless you're in, like, I don't know, South Texas, when you probably should be gardening already instead of, you know, cover cropping. Um, so that just goes out the door. The best thing that you can do right now for your garden beds, assuming you don't have snow cover and it, it, it's not possible to do, is throw down a whatever you have for organic matter, compost, and fertility, and emulch the hell out of it, and or tarp it depending on what's going to happen in the next couple months. Like, if you're in a place where lots of weeds are going to come up or they're already starting to come up, fertility, organic matter, mulch, etc., and tarp it. And another thing that you can do is this is a great time to put down feed for your soil life. So chicken feed, duck feed, livestock feed, sweet feed is great because you have a, an added kick of nitrogen and protein with sweet feed. But, you know, putting it down, if, if you were using conventional fertilizer, which you shouldn't, but if you were, putting down a feed like that at a rate of about four to five times what you would do for fertilizer. Before the organic matter and before the tarp, and you're going to feed the hell out of the worms and the soil organisms. Uh, a good drench with a garret juice or uh, horticultural molasses product or dry molasses, any of that stuff, like All of that's good to do right now, and tarp it. And those of you in the colder climates, it's even probably more valuable to tarp it with a dark-colored tarp. 
I don't see a lot of black tarp available around, right? But the dark brown ones are pretty good for this. Or you can use the plastic vapor layer, uh, plastic vapor barrier plastic you can get at like Home Depot and Lowe's. It's just that's and I use that by the way the black stuff. It's just usually it's such a finicky thing that unless you have really like four if you have four by eight beds you can cut it to like you know five by nine. It can fold up pretty well and be reused. A lot of times it's a single-use product compared to a tarp, which is a little easier to use. But cover the ground. Cover the ground until you're ready to do your spring planting or your late winter planting. And it's going to create a great environment for all the living critters as far as your soil organisms and things like that. And it's going to create a very unhappy environment for weeds, etc., because it can't get no sunlight. It doesn't mean it'll kill all the weed seeds and stuff like that and make those all go away. This is why I actually like to tarp beds before the first heavy freeze when a lot of that stuff's still you know, growing because when we kill it, we get more organic matter into the soil. It doesn't oxidize away. and also prevent it from providing seed for the next crop. Or if we get it before it goes dormant, a lot of times we can rot out roots of plants that would otherwise be perennial in nature. So just that's about... All you can really do effectively in most of the country right now is sheet mulch, lasagna mulch, you know, soil drenches, etc., and tarp or cover in some way, if that makes sense for you. You know, we just had Martin Luther King Day. I let it go by without saying much about it because everybody dogpiles on it when it comes around. But as I've watched the behavior of people, and specifically from the right way now, that are very frustrated and very angry, and I understand, in spite of the fact that I jump on people's shit, I understand. I don't actively participate in this ass clownery, and I'm still, if I let myself pay attention, outraged when I hear these pearl-clutching assholes on TV talking about the sacred nature of the people's house. My God, the people were in the people's house. That's horrible. And, and just this, this ongoing bullshit about the supposed capital siege, and it was an act of sedition, and it was a, it was a you know, I mean, come. It, it just, it pales into comparison to everything the left did. It pales in comparison to it. It's still wrong. It's still wrong because you start smashing shit, that's wrong. You start threatening violence, that's wrong. You got a dead cop, that's wrong. I'm sorry, it is. And one thing that Martin Luther King said over and over again about his movement for civil rights, and specifically when they were protesting, is we have to be better than they are all the time, every time. We have to be better than they are. We always have to be better than they are. We always have to assume somebody's looking at us and watching what we do. Go back and look at any of the protests that Martin Luther King led and look at the people standing to his left and right. Look at the clothing they're wearing. They're wearing suits, guys. They marched in suits. Suits and ties. They always looked better than the people that they were battling. And I don't mean they looked better from a standpoint of they were, they were more fashionable. I meant from a standpoint of when an onlooker looked at people and said, well, who looks like a troublemaker? It wasn't them. I'm not for conformity. I'm not for laying down and taking it. 
I'm not for just accepting the way things are because they've always been that way. I am for rebellion. I am for what people refer to as insurrection and sedition. I believe that my message is one of the most dangerous messages in the world if you are the establishment because here's the thing. It works and it's true. And no matter how many people you convince that it won't work and it's not true, some will understand that it is and they will do it. And when you have people actively doing a thing and actively proving a thing and not harming anyone in the end over the long haul, and the long haul may be longer than a human lifetime, you win. But only if you are better than them. We cannot be burning down buildings. We cannot be threatening violence other than in defense. And even then, we have to be careful how we do it. Because, I mean, I'm serious. When I say, if you come to my house and try to take what I have from me using force and violence, you are probably going to get shot in the face. I mean that. But maybe I shouldn't even say it. I don't know. I do know that I don't need to make it my lead. I don't need to make it what I'm all about. You make sure you have a means of defense, and then you go about your life the way that you think is right. And you're strategic about it, and you do it the right way, and you help as many people as you can. And you always speak first of peace. Always speak first of peace. That's the point of being the warrior in the garden. So many people talk about that concept. It is better to be the warrior in the garden than the gardener in the war. Yes, but then you better have a damn garden. And that is a metaphor, folks. You better not be telling everybody what a badass warrior you are. Because here's what I found out about people that always talk about how badass they are. They aren't. They aren't. They never are. The people that talk the most shit are least capable of executing it. But they're the ones that get the attention. They're the ones that get the focus. And here's what you have to understand. I know what some of you are thinking. It doesn't matter what we do. They will still say, yes, and that's why you have to be better. It doesn't matter how much better you are. They will still say you're a racist. I know. That's why you have to be better all the time, not some of the time. You got the jackass that's our new president. I've called him ass clowns up till now. He's a jackass, right? It's his party's logo anyway. So jackass in chief comes out and does this amazing inaugural speech, and the media falls all over it. Oh my God! The 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 the, the flags or the something in the in the the the, the mall looked like his arms reaching out for America. Some stupid pablum puking shit like that. And he stands up and basically labels half the country white supremacists and then calls for unity. He can go screw. You still have to be better than they are all the time, every time, in every way. And if you don't think it works, there's a reason, even though he lost the battle. We have a Martin Luther King Day. And there's a reason things changed. There's a reason things got better. Because as much as I abhor 
the constant race baiting in this country and the feigned outrage and the pearl clutching and all the bullshit and the social justice warrior nonsense and young, spoiled white people that say they hate white people. You folks that are that, you're just, if there is an irredeemable class in this country, it's that group of people. Self-loathing, young, spoiled white people that say white people are the problem. Just piss off, right? We still have to be better than they are. We have to be better than they are. In every way. All the time. And you may lose the battle. But only staying that course will win the war. Because the war is for humanity's freedom. The war is for the right that we have as human beings. And those rights are real. And I don't care who says they're not. They are real. And they are real because we can even conceive of them. And because we can defend them. They are not defended by a piece of paper. They are not defended by a government. They are not defended by a national border. They are defended by the individual who says, this I shall defend for me and mine. But you got to do it always being better than them. Always. Moving on. Um... More practical question. Somebody asked me through an email, how do you find friends for your kids when you kind of live way out and about? And I would throw into that homeschooling because this is something that my wife and I try to make sure that we uh, account for with our grandson now that he's homeschooling here all the time. And, you know, we don't live in a neighborhood. We're not far away from people, but we have a three-acre property that's fenced in. And unless you know us, you don't just, you know, I think people maybe that have never lived just a little bit out in the country where, where homes are not just spaced out but perimeter fenced, you don't go in someone's gate without permission. It's a bad idea. You could end up in trouble for trespassing. You could end up with a gun in your face. The person's a little bit of a loose cannon. But you definitely can end up getting bit because almost everybody that lives in a place like this has dogs. And dogs tend to real quick say, hey, you know what? That fence, that's my space. I don't know you. You're in here. Guess what, buddy? You're getting bit, right? And that's part of why we have so much security. The problem is, you know, when I lived in Pennsylvania, kind of a spread out area, there was still a neighborhood feel to it. And like when I found out there were kids down the road that lived in a house, I said to my son, go down there, knock on the door and introduce yourself. You know, and then one kid meets another kid and they meet that kid's friends and that kid meets that. And all of a sudden you have this, you know, that's typically how... Children develop those social relationships. And when that's not really available, the, the thing that they do get from the state's school is they get exposed to enough kids that they find some that they get along with. The challenge to me in this situation is not finding kids to associate my kid, my grandkid with at all. Like, it's finding enough of them that he'll naturally select the ones he wants to be friends with. Because parents have this idea like, well, I know Susie, and Susie has kids, and they're about my kid's age, so they should just get along. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. We've all met people you just don't like. And I don't think it makes a lot of sense to tell our kids that they have to be friends. Now, be decent to, get along with, not cause problems for, sure. But if two people don't want to spend time together, I'm not one that's going to make them, and the fact that they're 10 doesn't change that calculus. 
So the challenge then is to get a broad enough exposure to enough kids that your kids find a few that they have affinity for. And I don't know why we struggle with that concept as parents. Like, we want our children to just get along with everybody. And again, getting along with and spending time with are different things. How many people have you known over the years, you've worked with, you knew them from church or school or uh, any sort of social interaction, maybe a bar that you frequented, a club you frequented, something like that, and you know the person, you know them by name, and you think they're okay. Like, if somebody said, what do you think about Billy? Like, He's all right. I don't know much about him, but, I mean, he's not a bad guy or nothing. You want to go hang out with him? No. Why not? I just don't. Right? It's not like he's a dick. Right? And some people are dicks, by the way. And then, then you, like, if you have a kid that's a dick, you really don't want your kid around him. Well, maybe we could teach him. No, that's their parents' responsibility. Right? Or uncle or whatever. Like, I'm not going to try to use my kid to fix another kid so they're not a dick anymore. Right? So you need enough people because no one tells you, oh, you know what, you need to be friends with Bill. Like, we know Bill's family, and we're friends with you, so you have... No, it's like we we find our own relationships. So you have to create a broad enough exposure, and then, ki and then leave kids to it. They'll figure it out. And if your kid's happy without having a lot of friends around him, that's okay, too. I would rather a person over time need to learn to expand their social circle then a person over time need to learn to be okay alone. And I don't mean alone from like a complete introverted, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm shy, I don't want to be around people standpoint. I think that can be a real problem in our society and in the world as a whole because we need each other. So I don't mean a, a closet shut-in, but a person who can generally day-to-day -day go through their life without needing other people will then have relationships in their life through choice rather than a, a, a feeling of necessity. If you can't be alone, if you just can't be alone, you are probably going to have destructive and codependent romantic relationships. Not definitely, but probably. In fact, you will. It's just a matter of how bad that'll be. Because... You'll be in a relationship and you'll, you'll be attracted to someone for whatever reason initially, but once the relationship begins, you'll remember not having it and you'll be so afraid of the loss that you'll actually cause it through self-destructive behavior. When you feel a need to attach yourself to people, either they're repelled by it or they have an equal need, and it doesn't matter if it's romantic or platonic, that same kind of codependency can happen. But a person who can be alone, who doesn't mind being alone, can choose to have really great, strong relationships. So creating a broad exposure, but also don't force them beyond what they want to do. Right Now, some things that we've done. We started a homeschool group, and we didn't do that from a standpoint of, oh, we want to be homeschoolers that exclude others. It's just like, well, our kids have freedom that other kids don't, time-wise. So just by reaching out through Nextdoor, and I've been encouraging my wife to make this a little bit broader, and maybe using Meetup or something like that, and creating a homeschool group and saying, you know, maybe three times a month we'll meet somewhere and do something. 
And with COVID, it's harder because, like, you know, there's a lot of really cool things in Fort Worth, like botanical gardens and stuff like that. That we, you know, it's not as it's not as much fun when they're telling people they have to wear a mask to be outside. Like, I'm not going to a place like that. And I'm not sure botanical gardens has that rule right now. I just kind of feel like they do, because um, most places outdoors in Texas, you don't, we don't do that shit here. Um, but I'm trying to make this more broad for other places, not just where I live. So maybe you have a little less third-party services, but you know, meeting at somebody's house or what have you, having a, a, a cookout, let the kids play games, whatever. But don't try to orchestrate the relationship between the children. Just try to get a large enough group. And, yeah, if there's a problem, one kid's being singled out or whatever, usually when you have kids like this, that less of those problems to begin with. But... Instead of saying, hey, you guys play with Johnny, you know, you pull your own kid aside and say, hey, what's up with Johnny? And maybe if all parents do that together, all of a sudden Johnny gets integrated enough to at least feel good about it. But in time, they'll form their own cliques. They're going to. You can't fight that. And then let the let those events be those events. And then in, in between them, let the interpersonal relationships that form before, between kids become just friendships. However, that happens, you know, kids coming over individually and things like that. And it, it, it just don't think that it's more complicated than it is, because it's not. And get them in activities other kids are involved in. Uh, right now, my grandson, right now, is taking archery lessons uh, at a facility with other kids. So he has kids there that he's friends with. And the reason I say to kind of expand the horizon, kids have interests. And relationships generally are founded on mutual interests. And with our homeschool group, we have one family that's just down the road, and it's easy to do stuff with them, but their, their two boys have no interest in sports. They're a little awkward. They don't really like sports. Whatever. My grandson, is, in, is, is he in a sports? Yes. Which one? All of them. He's got like that natural athlete capability. He loves basketball. He loves baseball. He loves football. He's constantly doing things. He's outside throwing the football, getting better at that. He's outside. We got him a basketball hoop, and he's he's shooting baskets. I mean, he's he's throwing the ball and hitting it with the bat. We have a, a tee and a, a, a net where he can just work on his swing. Like, he loves that. Well, he and those other kids, and those kids are kind of video game types, they're just not going to be deeply connected friends. They don't dislike each other. They just don't like the same things. So if you get enough involved, you're going to have the kids that all want to play video games, and if parents are okay with it, fine. You have the kids that want to go for walks in the woods. You're going to have kids that want to do sports. You're going to have the kids that just want to hang out. Like it's, it's That's the approach to take is get just get them exposed to other kids their age and let things be unless there's a problem. Last, um, someone emailed me and asked me about the stimulus. They said, this, the money supply is exploded and they just keep dumping trillions of dollars in where's the inflation and like i said when i talked about this during the intro there is inflation but it's more supply side economics than it is direct inflation inflation is when the price of everything goes up about the same amount the fact that you're paying more for bacon has more to do with uh how many pork bellies are in stock than than inflation Right now, at the moment, okay, to be clear. And whenever I talk about this, I always have to preface this with, I'm not saying it can't happen. 
I'm saying it's not likely to happen. And this time's different than the last time that tons of money went into the economy and it didn't happen. The last time that we had this much money, in fact, it was more pumped into the economy, was 2008-2009. And there was toxic debt everywhere. And when the money was dumped in, it was done mostly through quantitative easing and direct bailouts of financial institutions. It basically filled the hole. Money was created from nothing. It was, it was then created from nothing again, and the new money replaced the old money that disappeared. And when the debts were paid off or acquired by the Fed, they were canceled out. And hence, the expansion that had been done was countered with a retraction of the infusion of new money. In other words, the most simple way I can put this, if you have a giant hole, you can dump tons and tons of, of dump trucks of soil into that hole and not get a pile. Even if you put more dirt into the hole than came out, you get a small pile, not a giant pile. The other side is, what is the total? Back in the 1980s when I was in high school, my dad was always big into investing in stocks. And if I came home and the Dow Jones had moved a hundred points that day. I heard about it, even if I wasn't interested, because he was ranting about it one way or the other, good or bad. It mattered. If the Dow Jones moves a hundred points today, it don't mean shit. Because the Dow Jones is, what, 30,000 plus? So the percentage necessary for the move to be major, or the, the amount necessary for the percentage to be major, is a lot higher today. As you continue to inflate the monetary supply, a trillion dollars ain't what it used to be. I know that sounds oversimplified, but it, in some ways it's true. On, on top of it, what happened this time was part of it was money going into a hole. There was debt and, and things like that. And again, if money is created by debt, then, the, then the, 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 the funding of debt creates a contraction of the monetary supply. It's hard to understand because it's so simple. But in this case, the person that emailed me, I threw some stuff back and forth to see what they could come up with on their own, see if they could draw the right conclusions from this. And they said, but like 60% of people said they plan to either pay off debt or save money. So they just put it in savings this time when they got all their bailout money. And I'm like, yeah, that's what they said. But they didn't. People never do what they say at the rate that they say they're going to. So I'm sure some people put their money in savings or threw it in their retirement account or paid off the last of a credit card debt or whatever. But you know what most of the people did with the money? They spent it. Which would make you think, well, if they spent it, where's the inflation? Well, who'd they spend it with? Who got richer? Amazon got richer. All the big giant corporations got richer at the expense of the little ones. Now, what happens when these mega corporations get an extra couple billion dollars? They don't run out and spend it right away. And the way they do spend it is metered and controlled, and it doesn't immediately get leveraged into additional debt, which is where the real growth in the money supply comes from. The real growth in our money supply is more attached to the fact that when you go buy a house for half a million dollars, Let's say you borrow a half a million dollars, you buy a $580,000 house. 
you borrow half a million dollars, they don't give you a half a million dollars that they had. They write a check for a half a million dollars that they don't have that becomes the new half a million dollars. This is fractional reserve banking. That's not going on. Not connected to the money we printed and put into the economy, not yet. No, instead, Amazon is using it to put in more automation to get rid of more employees and to hire more employees where they need to. Those people are working, but other people aren't working. So on top of the fact that a lot of the money got consolidated into mega corporations, a lot of it got sucked up into the banking system but not being lent out, right? a shitload of people are unemployed, so it's not all moving. Because when you look at inflation and you think that it is only the quantity of money that creates inflation, it's hard to imagine a world where you could be more wrong. And I know that's what they teach you, but it's not true. It is the quantity, but what is a bigger factor is what's called the velocity of money. How fast does the money move, and, and when we have fractional reserve, move and multiply in the economy? So you could print, I don't know, $10 trillion. And then after you print it, you could put it all into one account, the $10 trillion account, and leave it there. And you might as well not have printed it at all. Now, there might be some psychological reaction to it. But in the end, it will have no net effect on the value of the dollar until it's put into circulation and until it begins to move and multiply. And it ain't moving and multiplying. Now, will there be an eventual unwinding and some significant inflation from all this? Absolutely. Are we on the verge of the Weimar Republican? No. No. It, it, it just isn't going to happen now. Again, I always say it could happen, but if you want to know why it's not happening now, one, it filled holes, and two, it was, it, it's, been, it's been amassed by a relatively small number of oligarchs and technocrats who are, if they're spending it, they're spending it, think of it as internal spending, and it's remaining consolidated, so it's not moving and multiplying through the economy. You're watching wealth be consolidated. You're watching wealth be transferred from the people to the few. And as bad as that is, the one thing you're not going to get when that's happening is run away. You know, Weimar style, Nigerian style, whatever, Ethiopian style. Inflation. Was it Zimbabwe, right? Zimbabwe style inflation. You're not going to get that. And even those cycles, one thing you really need to understand before people all panic, those cycles are always short-lived. They tend to burn themselves out. Do you know what, the, all the talk about the Weimar Republic, people that always run their mouth about that know nothing about it. Ask them how long it lasted. How long were things that way? A little less than three years. Now, let's set aside World War II and just talk about the economics. What was the 10 years after the Weimar Republic referred to in Germany from an economic standpoint? It's golden era. The golden era. Just, I didn't make it up. Not my words. Anyway, the giant, huge inflation 
that as much as, again, like I love them, Tom Woods was talking about, we talked about this on his show in April last year, and I explained, you don't get a pile when you dump dirt in a hole, and these other things, it's not here and it's not coming. If you see really high prices on food and commodities, it is not going to be inflation the way you think of the word. It's going to be shortfall on the supply side. Now, lots of money in circulation can create lots of spending, heat up an economy to the point where shortfalls occur, more dollars competing for less goods. We're not there right now. We may be. It depends on how we recover. And we're in a situation right now where the danger is recovery. If we recover too fast and too hot, you will see inflation like you've probably never seen it in your life. It doesn't mean that we're going to be Zimbabwe, but it will be it will probably be less bad than most of the people talking about it say, but worse than most people expect. It's the only way I can describe it. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you guys, if you like this show and the work that we do, you can always do your online shopping at tspaz.com. If you go to tspaz.com, whenever you shop online and start your shopping there, you help us out no matter what you eventually buy. Today, I've got an item I've, I've recommended for years to you guys that is definitely worth checking out today. They're the Lodge Carbon Steel Season Skillets. Years and years ago, I got on a retro kick with cast iron. And cast iron's good, but it's bad. You know, it, 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 it holds heat a long time, but that means that when it gets too hot, it takes longer to cool back down. It also takes longer to heat up. It doesn't heat as evenly. It's not the greatest thing in the world for searing, especially those of you that don't have a gas stove. I do, which makes it a little bit better. But along the way of restoring old, like, you know, Griswold skills and stuff, I, I talked to someone who said, just try carbon steel. And I did. And most of my cast iron sits idle now. Carbon steel is everything you love about cast iron and none of the stuff you don't. You take care of it, you season it the same way, and if you go into any restaurant where they do a lot of like steaks, scallops, searing, and stuff like that, you're going to see carbon steel skillets all over the place. And a lot of times they're going to be large. Um, there's not really a good way to build them wrong, uh, a carbon steel skillet. If it's actually carbon steel, you know, and it's not stupid thin, then it's, then it's going to be right. So Lodge builds great ones. Uh, Lodge builds affordable ones. And while they are heavy compared to cast iron, they're incredibly light. Um, I love mine. But the reason I brought them around today, they're all on sale. The 12-inch skillet, which I think is the most versatile skillet for you know everyday cooking, because it's big enough to do almost anything, and, but it's not huge, is 20% off. The 8-incher, I have one of those because well, I like to collect things. Right, um, is 20% off, and the 10-inch is 29% off. And then they have a big two-handled 15-inch skillet. I love that thing. It is today marked down 45%. So these are, in my opinion, lifelong investments. If you take good care of them, right, you, you clean them, get a ringer, which is a little piece of chain mail for cleaning them. Um, always clean them after you cook. Uh, keep them oiled. Dry them out with heat. And maintain them. There's no reason that like your kids won't inherit them or your grandkids won't inherit them. And you know, at the price they cost, that's a pretty damn good investment. Uh, I think that as we look at financial problems going forward, we need to think more and more right now that what we do invest our money in uh, 
is at least a 10-year purchase. These far exceed that, but that's kind of my threshold. Like, if I'm going to buy something now, unless it's a consumable, if it's a durable good, is it going to give me 10 years or more of service? And if it's not, unless I absolutely have to have it and there's no better option I can afford, I'm not buying it. That's how to start thinking about just about everything going forward. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day today. Song of the day today is by Pink Floyd. And it's called A Great Day for Freedom. And I think it brings us a lesson that ties in with what I was talking about with Dr. Martin Luther King today and some of the other things I said about how we have to resist but be better than they are and understand what some people are calling for is it has the potential to lead to far more problems than they can possibly imagine. This song, A Great Day for Freedom, is really about uh, what happened in uh, Yugoslavia when the old regime fell and all of that totalitarianism died, but then what came next? What came next was ethnic cleansing. What came next was civil war. I don't even think we should use the term civil war. There's never been a war that was civil in the history of humankind. I mean, I don't know what a better term is. But civil does not feel like the right term. And we have some things going on in this country right now that are powder kegs of violence that can be set off. And I know people like to talk about how their side would win, but even if you win, it could still be horrific. War should always be a last resort. And one of the dangers this country has is we've been so insulated from war while being the most war-hungry nation for the last 200 years. This country has dropped more bombs on more people, more years out of the last 200 years than any 10 countries combined. If you actually do the research and say, since America was founded as a nation, how many years have we not been at war in some capacity? It will shock you if you've never done it before. And as bad as it is on its own, the danger is, well, we always win. Well, what about when we fight ourselves? Who's we? And you won't be insulated. And there's a lot of ways that the Civil War can kick off. It can be like the war in the 1860s, Twin States more conventional in nature. That's the, the exception. That's the exception to civil wars. Civil wars are generally fought guerrilla style by both sides, or at least guerrilla style by one side. And they happen in your backyard. There is no front line. And if we don't seek peace, and peace through strength is still peace, it is our inevitable future. And it's why I've actually become more and more a fan of the concept of regional state-level secession. I think this experiment we call the United States has run its course. I think we have too much power and we're too big of a, too big of a piece of land to continue on our current path. 
And there's ways that that can be done with some level of an amicable divorce. And there's ways that that can be done with incredible bloodshed. And I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't pretend to know what's going to happen, but I do know this. Be careful what you wish for. Because in this case, you might get it, and you probably will find out you didn't want it. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast.